Yeah, it is our 10th Avenue freeze out. It's freezing out there today. Welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen Show, Sleet and Snow. It's uh, the apocalypse, if you believe the news media. Climate change. No, it's weather change, that's all. The weather has changed. Atmospheric pressure does that. Welcome to the programme. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yes, and Boris Johnson has made nearly £5 million from speaking engagements in the last couple of years. Indeed, in fact, when you add up all of MPs' speaking engagements, he's made 85% of all the money collected by MPs. Nice work if you can get it. I don't worry, I don't plan on talking about that at all today. It's Thursday's programme. I'm looking forward to uh, introducing you to Dr. Ahmad Malik. Now, Ahmad is an orthopaedic surgeon based in London, but originally from Glasgow. And he's a lovely gentleman. I've been speaking to him uh, over the last few days. I've invited him onto the programme because he has been tweeting out his this... Um, Disappointment, maybe you could say, in how the government and the National Health Service has handled things in the past three years. He's got some pretty strong opinions about all of that. So we will uh, meet Ahmad and we will speak about some of those things around about 5.30. Orthopaedic surgeon Dr. Ahmad Malik. I'm looking forward, as I said, to speaking with him. And if there's something you'd like me to put to him, you can do so via the website. It's live comment on Richie Allen. .co.uk. Yes, the apocalypse, if you believe the news media. Give us a break. It's the weather, you know. It's what happens every now and then. March is mad anyway. March madness. It happens, doesn't it, in March? You get a bit of snow. Sometimes it's cold. It rains. March of many weathers, the old grannies would have said in Ireland back in the day. It's just March of many weathers, dear. Anywho, hey, you wouldn't by any chance happen to remember Jonathan Van Tam, would you? Otherwise known as JVT. He used to be England's deputy chief medical officer. Now he's gone. He bore a remarkable resemblance to the character Penfold from Danger Mouse. That was about the most remarkable thing about him. Now he's gone. When Van Tam was poncing around on the telly back in 2020 and 2021, Ireland, that is my Ireland, my country, well, Ireland decided it needed its own JVT Jonathan Van Tam. So the Irish media began inviting a proper agent called Luke O'Neill on from Trinity College in Dublin, a biochemistry professor, if you please. A very amiable guy, Luke. Sure, he's a lovely fella. And so down to earth. Sounds nothing like a science professor. So Luke O'Neill became a bit of a household name, so we did. Faith and Bigara and Jesus and all the shamrocks, right? In- incidentally, this guy, Luke O'Neill, back in October 2020, he sold a firm that he had run with a guy called Professor Matt Cooper. He sold his firm for 380 million euro. A firm, a biotech company called Inflazome, which tested medicine, the efficacy of medicine. So Luke O'Neill is the scientific version of Bertie Ahern. You know, really down to her, like, you know, 
he speaks like that kind of a thing. Like he doesn't sound at all like uh, like a, like a scientist kind of a thing. You know, you know what I mean, Pat. So this guy was everywhere. He sounds like a used car salesman and not a medical expert, Professor Luke O'Neill. Get on with it, Baldy. Okay, I hear you. He was on News Talk today with Pat Kenny. Now, Pat Kenny, I laugh when I read this week that artificial intelligence will replace newspaper writers and even television presenters. The people who wrote those articles have never seen Pat Kenny. Pat Kenny has been around for years, the first ever robot to host The Late Late Show. Anyway, Luke O'Neill, professor from Trinity College, Dublin, biochemistry, was on Pat Kenny today. Take it away, Luke O'Neill and Pat Kenny. Luke O'Neill, professor of biochemistry at Trinity College in Dublin. Good morning. Good morning, Luke. Good morning, Pat. The great news today is... What's the great news? The pandemic's over. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you probably thought it was over, did you? Yeah. But but a very famous scientist, Eric Topol, who's the real world expert, announced the pandemic's over, which is a, a great statement, isn't it? What it means is it's still here, of course, but it's endemic. It's endemic. Now, it sounds nothing like a professor of uh, biochemistry at Trinity College Dublin, does he? No, he's not supposed to either. That's Luke O'Neill. The pandemic is over. Which means it'll the, pop up like the, the flu or like. Break here. Not a global nightmare that we've been through, you know. So now it's endemic, and that's a great thing to announce, isn't it, in a way? Now, we knew anyway that that was. The case. Uh, that was the case. They're like the Chuckle Brothers, these two, Pat Kenny and Luke O'Neill. So the pandemic is over. I mean, in fact, in the old days, say with the 1918 pandemic, it's over when you say it's over. It's that, it's that kind of thing. You know? yeah. But now that all the evidence is the immune system has worked. We've all got defence against it, most of us anyway. And now you'll see the odd outbreak here and there is the idea. Yeah, yeah. What? What did he just say there? But now that all the evidence is the immune system has worked. What? What? But now that all the evidence is the immune system has worked. Not the jabs. Not the jab. We've all got defence against it, most of us anyway. And now you'll see the odd outbreak here and there is the idea. Ah, so why did you participate in trying to convince people to take four or five COVID jabs when ultimately, you know, ultimately it was... But now that all the evidence is the immune system has worked. The immune system has worked, the pandemic is over. Ah, in fact, some collegiate people, some academics back in very, very early 2021 said that herd immunity had been reached in the UK and Ireland through natural immunity, herd immunity. Yeah, honestly, look it up if you don't believe me. Luke O'Neill, eh? So after all that vaccine joint, the immune system work did it. Trying to tell us some of their Lukey. Here's a bit more from Professor Luke O'Neill from Trinity College in Dublin. Does that mean that the virus just has got sick of making variations? What? Does it mean the virus has got what? Does that mean that the virus just has got sick of making variations? <laughs> COVID just said, I've had enough now. I'm sick of making variations. COVID is like your mother. I'm sick of cooking and cleaning and, and ironing for you. I'm sick of making variations. So it's over. Exactly. That's exactly what he says. He's realised the latest variant is the dominant one. There hasn't been any new one since, you know, and, and the one that's there isn't anyway nastier than the previous one. You know why I said Bertie Ahern, don't you? Previous one, and that'll be the future in a sense. So now it's just another virus that infects us. And of course, not, not to downplay the seriousness, some, no, 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 no. some will still get infected and get very sick with it, just like the flu, you know, so we've got to keep an eye on things yeah. medically. Got to keep an eye on things medically, Professor Luke O'Neill. Keep an eye on things medically. But COVID got sick of making variants, don't you know? Feck me. If we'd known that COVID was likely to get sick of making variants, maybe we could have brokered a truce with the virus sometime around 2020. Listen, if you leave the rest of us alone, we'll give you the travellers, maybe. I don't know. Now, just when the pandemic is over, you're looking forward beyond the horizon to the next pandemic uh, yeah, no, what are you worried about? Please. There's no, there's no let up in this pandemic business. 
we've just got over a pandemic, it's endemic now. The virus got sick of making variants, but we've got another one for you. Please don't, listeners, don't turn off because <laughs> we're going to talk about the next pandemic. But um, of course, He's so lovely, isn't he? Of course, it's our job as scientists to keep an eye on these things. What this is about is can we spot it and stop it the next time from happening? We don't want to have another COVID 19, do we? Yeah, we don't want to have another COVID 19, do we? So there's a huge effort happening to keep an eye on the world and where are the viruses and might they spread. And there's a couple of concerns that are worth mentioning simply because if, if we if we know this, we can stop it, is the idea. Yeah. And one is bird flu. That's the bird one, flu. The one that's on people's radar. It's the biggest outbreak ever of bird flu pat, ever now. Pat in history. This is a flu virus that affects birds, obviously. Millions and millions of birds have died. It's the worst ever, they think, outbreak of bird flu. Millions and millions of birds have died of bird flu. Mm. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a medical man, a medical person. I know nothing about any of these things. But there are, there are, there are qualified men and women who reckon that there's something else entirely happening to the birds and that they're blaming bird flu on it. Something to do with EMF toxicity and, and stuff and exposure and all of that. But that could be nonsense. I don't know. Luke O'Neill. But is it the same H5N1 which we talked about years ago? So yeah. is it the same old bird flu that you've been bullshitting on about for the last 20 years, is it? It is, yeah, yeah. Still, well, it, it is, yeah, it is, Pat. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was first seen in, 1950, in 1959, I think it was the start of it. Way back then, they first see this H5N1 in birds in Scotland, actually. Right, why didn't it kill lots of people back then? And it's been around a few times. There's been the odd outbreak here and there, you see. But it's just among birds. But it's yeah. lethal for birds. If it gets into a flock, many die, you see. If it gets into a flock, that's it, they're dead. Okay. But but here's the question. Say half the birds die. Half the birds survive and then go on to lay eggs and so on. Does that mean that they're a hardier bird the next time round? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The immune system in the birds is there as well. But it's just, just like in humans. You know, the, the ones who die off have survival not a strong of, immune, of, of the, the fittest, fittest. Precisely, yeah. So the ones who survive then. And then it goes away again. It's like like the pandemic. It'll go away because immunity builds up, you see, is the idea. But the, but the big mystery, Pat, is will it mutate? That's the question. Will it mutate? And, and mutate in a way that it spreads between humans. And that's what we're watching for very closely. Loads of samples being taken. Look at the sequence of the virus, see if yeah. it's modified. Now, if, for example, you have a fox that eats a, a bird that's got H5N1, and so you, you have a fox and it eats a bird that is infected with bird flu. Then the fox goes back to its cubs. Right. I mean, I mean, well, you know, does it pass from mother to <laughs> yeah. son or daughter? That, that's the question. No evidence for that. But the seal. <laughs> no evidence for that. But we'll talk about it as if it's possible. Seals, thousands and thousands of seals have died, right? Thousands and thousands of seals have died, he says, Luke O'Neill, biochemistry professor from Trinity College, Dublin. Really? Thousands and thousands of seals have died, right? Right, and because of bird flu. Now the question is, are they spreading it among themselves? Are, 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 are they all Bird e flu? Are seals spreading bird flu amongst themselves? Eating seabirds, we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's a kind of a worry there that so many seals have died. In other words, you know, it may well have mutated. Now again, there's no evidence for that, let's be very... <laughs> There's no evidence for that whatsoever, Pat. Could be anything. Could be an oil spill. It could be plastic in the oceans. It could be some sort of seal flu. That has never been discovered before. Important to say that, but still, it's being watched closely because human to human, you don't want human to human, because then we're back to the way it was with the, with the COVID nineteen pandemic. Wait, wait, now, what about vaccinating birds? Now, yeah, yeah, he says you can vaccinate birds, so we don't want human to human transmission of bird flu. Why? Why is that? By the way, do we know about mortality in humans? Wait for this. Mortality in humans. If humans get bird flu, what happens? I mean, it has to be an outbreak in humans because they consumed. That, that's why they're worried. But there's a fifty percent mortality if it jumps into humans. <laughs> 
as you see, is really vicious in humans. Now, remember, you can only catch it off birds. But can you imagine if that was the case? COVID, the final mortality goes at 1% or 2%. This is the Irish national broadcaster. And this is abject failure in, in public. Abject failure on behalf of the presenter to challenge that nonsense. 50% mortality. Half the people who get it will die. He basically said to Pat Kenny, the gormless, robotic Muppet who just sat there and didn't challenge it. You see, can you imagine 50%? What would we do then? The whole place gets locked down, doesn't it? Because if it's such a yeah. severe disease, you see. So, so that's being watched closely as well. It's especially lethal if it jumps. It's in the wrong species then, remember. It, it, it's, kind of, it's adapted to living birds in a kind of way. Yeah. You know? Whereas if it's in the wrong species, you see much more, much more harm is being done. Yeah, did you hear that, Tom? They said that if you get bird flu, there's a 50, ch- 50% chance you'll die, Tom. No. Could you repeat it? Because I, I can't believe my fucking ears. Me neither. So let's hear it again. By the way, do we know about mortality in humans? That's I mean, the, has there been an outbreak in humans because they consumed... That, that's why they're worried, but there's a 50% mortality <laughs> if it jumps into humans, you see. It's really vicious in humans. Now, remember, you can only catch it off birds, but can you imagine if that was the case? Imagine if that was the case. It's coming up for 13 minutes past the year. Professor Luke O'Neill, biochemistry professor from Trinity College in Dublin. We better do something about bird flu. Thousands and thousands of seals are dying. Because of bird flu, no, there's no, no evidence whatsoever uh, that it's bird flu uh, at, at all. No, 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 no. But well, I'll just mention that seals are dying anyway. Could it be something else? Could it be? Who knows? This is the Richie Allen Show. It's Thursday's programme, the 9th of March, 2023. It's cold out there. It's cold everywhere. In fact, my friend Nigel, he packed his son off. He packed his son, Sean, off to Newcastle from Waterford for the weekend. Sean has gone to Newcastle with some of his uh, pals to watch Newcastle play this weekend. He picked the right weekend to go to Newcastle. It must be very cold up there. Hope he has his thermals, Nigel. Long John's. And three pairs of socks on him. It's always cold in Newcastle. I was there one time. It was a July some years ago, and it was freezing even then. Let's move on to something else. Unheard is a publication. It's online. And Freddie Sayers is the guy who runs it. He's a journalist. He's been on Talk TV today with Julia Hartley Brewer, criticising how the government made decisions during the early stages of COVID. This is to do with the revelations coming out of the so-called lockdown files. The what? The lockdown files are Matt Hancock's WhatsApp messages, which the Telegraph were given by Isabel Oakshot more than 100,000 communications. Let's hear a little bit of uh, Freddie uh, Sayers speaking to Julia Hartley Brewer. What disturbed Freddie the most? It's exactly what you feared, but it's even worse, in that there's been no specific smoking gun over the last week. There's there's no particular outrage that anyone could point to. The That's because there's been no mention of midazolam yet. The thing that I think most people will be shocked by when they read these WhatsApp messages, and they've been coming out every day for the past week or 10 days, it's the tone. Yeah. It's the fact that these decisions were making huge differences. They were literally cancelling people's whole lives, millions of people, and they were being made on the hoof, on WhatsApp groups, and while ministers and their spads and their special advisors were joking about them, and what you realise is these weren't serious people. Yeah. They weren't actually interested in making serious assessments of the evidence. They weren't aware of the gravity of what the decisions they were making had. And it almost seems like certainly that the power had gone to their head and it had become, they were almost sort of getting off on it. Yeah, Freddie concludes that it's the power going to their head and they were getting off on it. At no point has it occurred to Freddie Sayers or Julia Hartley Brewer that maybe something more sinister is going on there. Is it maybe Hancock, Witty, Valance... 
Jonathan Van Tam, Boris Johnson, or maybe the deliverers of a message, but not the authors of that message. In other words, that none of what they did was of their own volition. Do you get what I'm saying? Why do we say that? Is there any evidence of it? Well, yeah, because apart from one, maybe two countries in the world, every country did exactly the same thing. That's what leads me to believe that, you know, blaming Matt Hancock and and others, now, there is a Medazalam thing, we'll probably be getting into that for a while to come, but uh, blaming them for, well, for what happened is futile, I think. It's not their agenda. They are the front men for it, maybe. Yeah, more from Freddie Sayers. But also, they were having fun. You know, they were they were joking. I've got a few printed out in front of me here. Even Simon Case, who is the senior civil servant, right? So he's not even a politician. He is, was cabinet secretary and before that, uh, private secretary at number 10. Hilarious, he says, when Matt Hancock says that 149 people have had to spend uh, days in quarantine hotels. Hilarious. And other times, um, Matt by, Hancock... By the way, those people, a lot of them were travelling into this country, fading thousands, uh, to be basically in prison for two weeks with no scientific basis behind it, but to visit loved ones who were dying. Mm. And that so, was the reason why they were travelling. So, so, you know, it wasn't hilarious for them, obviously. Um, the question, I think, one of the many questions we, we, that have been raised by this is also what the media did. Um, I would love to see the messages that were sent by senior figures in the media to Matt Hancock over this period. The Daily Telegraph has declined to publish those because of a kind of collegiate sense of yeah. not wanting to embarrass fellow journalists. No, he says the Daily Telegraph has in its possession messages between the media and Matt Hancock. Messages that would embarrass the media, not the Telegraph, but the other media. And out of some sense of kinship, maybe, with the other media organisations, the Telegraph is withholding those. That's not journalism. That's cover-up. Publish and be damned. Publish everything you have. I'm particularly interested, as is Freddie Sayers, to read communications between Matt Hancock and maybe the BBC, ITV, Sky News and so on. Publish them. Why would you not want to? But the way they talk, at one point there's a message saying we need to get this message out via Peston or Laura. They're talking about Robert Peston and Laura Kunzberg, who at the time was political editor at the BBC. You know, it was clear that the government thought of senior figures in the media as basically their sort of information arm. Yeah. Whatever message they wanted to put out, they would just tell people yeah. in the media what to say, and, and they would obediently... And, and we saw, of course, George Osborne as, a, as going on from being Chancellor's Exchequer to being editor of the Evening Standard, and again, very influential in, in, in the capital city. Yeah, and Brewer went on to basically deride the mainstream media for tagging along with the government and towing the line. But of course, the irony is Talk TV, GB News, the so-called alternatives, they're doing the very same thing now. We've interviewed people on this programme in recent weeks, credible men and women, who've been badly injured by the COVID jabs. It's, a, it's believed that one in 800 people who've had a COVID jab had a very serious reaction to it. It has killed many people. I don't know exactly how many people, but it has killed people. And we've had eminent professors on this programme who said that vaccine rollouts were, were cancelled or halted for far less 
than what is going on with the mRNA jabs. However, Julia Hartley Brewer likes to have a pop at the BBC and, and ITV for towing the government line. Well, they're doing the very same thing on talk TV. They will not talk about vaccine damage. That's a fact. I'm not being unfair to talk TV and GB News. Yes, you had Mark Stein, you had Neil Oliver for a while, and, and congratulations to them for raising the subject. But it's gone very quiet in those parishes of late, hasn't it? 20 minutes past the hour. This is Thursday's Richie Allen Show. I'm looking forward in about 10 minutes time uh, to connecting with Dr. Ahmad Malik. He is an orthopaedic surgeon, a doctor. He's based in London, but he's originally from Glasgow. Gentlemen, I reached out to him. We connected on Twitter. We were um, chatting about some of his tweets. He's courageous. He's asking questions and and he's putting information out there. So I invited him on for a chat, for a conversation about the last two to three years. So he'll be with me shortly to discuss those issues. You may put points of view, as you always do, via my website, richieallen.co.uk, where it says comment live on the menu bar. Is there time to do a couple of quick stories? There is time, I think. I was amazed to see this or to hear this on Times Radio today a lady called Layla Micklewaite. Now, Layla set up an organisation called Trafficking Hub. She's looking out for girls, boys, anybody being trafficked by trafficking gangs, people being sold into slavery and sometimes sexual slavery. And she said something that, I'm amazed I missed this really. I don't miss very much because I read the papers cover to cover. Pretty much most days have been doing that for many years. But one of the if not the biggest and most popular pornography website in the world, is, this is a quote now, infested with footage of children, sexual abuse and trafficking. And the company, which is Pornhub, is more interested in processing credit card details than it is about going to jail. Because Leila Micklewaite believes that Pornhub, the company, is in serious trouble because there is a lot of footage of children being abused on this massive pornographic website, Pornhub.com. Let's have a listen to what she said. She was speaking to uh, Times Radio today, and this is kind of startling, really. Pornhub, I I have found, and, and, and the evidence is pretty clear, that they care more about credit card processing than they do about going to jail for breaking the law. Like, Possessing and distributing child pornography is against the law in, uh, you know, in Canada, in the United States, I'm in, in many countries around the world. I mean, this is a federal crime to even possess this content um, and to profit from it, to benef- benefit from the sex trafficking of a minor is a crime. Both, you know, it's, it's a crime, but it's also a civil offense as well in the United States. There's absolutely no question that this is the case um, based on the facts that we know. Uh, you know, starting all the way back in 2018 and 2019, uh, when the London Sunday Times did the investigation into Pornhub and uncovered that within minutes, there were dozens of videos that they found of illegal content, even children as young as three years old on the site. Um, And, you know, one of the main problems that I discovered in early 2020 with Pornhub of why the site had become infested with videos of real sexual crime, including child abuse, rape and trafficking, is because they were not verifying the age or the consent 
of the millions of individuals in the videos that they globally distribute and they profit from. And when I say they profit, they profit a lot from free porn by delivering 4.6 billion ad impressions to advertisers every day. Imagine that, over 4 billion, 4.5 billion ad impressions for for advertisers on a daily basis. Rampant child sex abuse on the platform. It sounds like there's enough there for the FBI to bring Pornhub down and any other pornograph, excuse me, pornography website that's hosting such material. She said if it's on your site and it's there and you're not doing anything about it, you're basically guilty of distributing child porn, which of course is, quite rightly, understandably, one of the most serious crimes you can commit. Lots of interesting things on richieallen.co.uk. Check it out today. Uh, Gary Lineker, again today, was all over the news. He's a football presenter, former footballer, very good footballer, scored lots of goals for England and Tottenham, and for a while Barcelona, Everton. These days, he's one of the highest paid sports presenters in the country. He presents Match of the Day. The other day, he tweeted out something like... he. Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, had posted a video about dealing with these small boats that are crossing the channel. Lineker tweeted out something like that the language being used was reminiscent of language used in the 1930s. So there's been a big kind of a brouhaha, as it were, about that in the last couple of days. I'm unequivocal. My position is I don't care which organisation he works for. I don't care what contracts he may or may not have signed. Free speech is paramount and free speech must be absolute. And if you're going to go to bat and scream about how cancel culture is wrong and how people being shadow banned and kicked off platforms is wrong, you've got to stand up for people whose opinions, you know, you you might profoundly disagree with. Gary Lineker doesn't know very much about what's going on in the UK's asylum system. I doubt he knows very much about what's really going on. He certainly has no idea how uncontrolled migration impacts on working class people up and down the country and in my country when you're driving down public services, when you are wrecking public services and it's becoming more and more difficult to get access to a doctor, to a GP, when education is in the state that it's in and you can't get a good school for the kid, you can't get a local authority affordable house to rent. And all of a sudden, the government starts adding about a half a million people to the country every year. There's nothing racist or bigoted about that. People are entitled to ask the question, how much of that Gary Lineker understands is anybody's guess, but he should be allowed to say whatever he likes. It doesn't matter how much money he has, it doesn't matter how much um, of a Twitter following he has, it's good for the goose, good for the gander. You want free speech, you've got to have free speech for people you don't like. As you well know, I do not like, in fact, I detest utterly Sean, Stephen, what is it, Stephen Lennon, who calls himself Tommy Robinson, I was one of the first people to stand up and say it was outrageously wrong when his PayPal account was suspended. I said it was outrageous when he was booted off Twitter and other social media platforms. Not because I was virtue signalling, but because it's what I believe. It's outrageous that anybody should be banned for expressing an opinion. The only exceptions, of course are when somebody incites violence against somebody. When somebody recommends that something harmful happens to somebody. That's a crime, and I totally understand in that instance 
the social media company banning people. But Robinson never incited violence against anybody. He just had opinions that some didn't like. Therefore, I said it's not right. He should be booted off. So Gary Lineker should continue saying whatever it is he chooses to say. Of course, what's being missed in all of this, nobody says this except you and except me, is that what is being missed in all of this is debate. There is no debate. Gary Lineker doesn't participate in debate, nor do his detractors. It's a screaming match on Twitter. Where is the measured, calm, grown-up debate? All right, Gary, that's a bit strong, that Nazi comparison. Let's have a little sit-down, though, and have a chat about this, because I see it differently. Doesn't happen. We don't live in such a world anymore. So we don't. This is The Richie Allen Show. It is fast approaching, 5.30. In fact, it's 28 minutes past the hour now. In a few minutes' time, I'll be joined by Dr. Ahmad Malik. You do not want to miss him. Really interesting gentleman. And do keep those comments coming in. It's live comment on richieallen.co.uk. Here's Climby Fisher. And love changes everything, doesn't it just? Yeah, that is Climby Fisher and Love Changes Everything. It is 29 minutes to the top of the hour. Welcome back to the programme. I'm really excited now about speaking with our guest today. I came across him on Twitter a few weeks back and invited him on and he kindly agreed to come on. He describes himself as an average and honest surgeon, speaking up for medical ethics, freedom of speech and promoting good health. He is an orthopaedic surgeon. He's based in London, but originally from uh, Glasgow, and he has amassed a pretty huge following on Twitter of late. Let's welcome to the programme Dr. Ahmad Malik. Ahmad, it is lovely to have you on. Thanks for coming on. How are you? Good evening. I'm good. Thank you very much. You're a gent. You're in Glasgow, and you've stepped out of what you were doing to, uh, to speak to us. So tell me then, what happened that led you to take to social media to say, I've got to speak up, there are things that need to be said? Was there one thing in particular? Yeah, um, good question. I need to clarify. Actually, while I was born in Glasgow and um, work in London, I'm actually in Liverpool, which isn't that different from Glasgow. Oh, no, that's right. You are. Excuse me, you did tell me that the other day. But, it, you, but it's very similar. It's grey, it's wet, and they've got a funny accent. So there you go. <laughs> I can't say too much. I'm a Manchester United supporter. I'll, I'll say very <laughs> right. little, but you're in Liverpool. So was it an accumulation of things or one thing in particular for you? Right. So, I mean, look, there's, um, I, I'm not, I'm not like some of the doctors that you're hearing about. And, you know, I think there's an element of pandemic ambulance chasers. People want to make a name for themselves. Look at me. I'm, you know, out on the lecture circuit and this and that. I, I just want a quiet life just doing my job. But a couple of times I've raised my head above the parapet. And one of them was last year when they were introducing the mandates. And that really got me up, um, you know, against the bone, angry and frustrated that no one could see what an infringement on our human rights this was and a, a, a really serious breach of medical ethics. So I went on GB News and uh, I said, look, this is a joke frankly. And I worked with an, an amazing organization called Together Declaration, full of freedom fighters and freedom thinkers. And we managed to overturn the whole mandate business um, in the NHS, healthcare, private healthcare, you name it. Um, it was a bit too late for the care homes, unfortunately. But then I went back to just doing my job. Um, but then again, 
last December, I got to a point where I was just seeing too many patients of mine complaining of adverse effects after their latest booster, really unexplained conditions, stage four cancers, sudden deaths, nursing staff coming up to me, crying, telling me about their nephew that died of a shot, you know, a week after, and they're only 28 and they've got a heart attack. You know, people very close to me, I don't want to talk about who, but, you know, again, another one in their late 20s just suddenly died. And um, so I went on Twitter and did a video saying, look, maybe we need to investigate what's going on here. You know, this biggest experiment in human in human history. And, you know, I, I was contacted by the private hospitals that I work out of because I'm a full time private consultant and told, stop this. Don't talk about this. Take your video down. This is out of your scope of practice and a breach of our social media guidelines. And um, I pleasantly replied and said, no, that's wrong. My scope of practice is patient safety first and foremost. And I don't think they could argue with that. And I wasn't saying anything ludicrous or crazy. I'm simply asking questions. And if we can't ask questions, frankly, we're in the People's Republic of Great Britain, not the United Kingdom anymore. So, um, and I've, you know, been bullied as a kid, you know, I've, you know, been called lots of funny names, being, you know, a young Pakistani boy growing up in Glasgow, it's not particularly easy um, at times. And, you know, I learned how to stand up for myself. And I've got young children, I'm teaching them about how to stand up to bullies. And I wasn't going to back down, I wasn't going to take down any video. And if they wanted me to be quiet, I thought, you know what? I popped my head up and then went back down and got on with my life. Not this time. I'm going to keep speaking up and be vocal. I don't know what a large following on Twitter is. I don't really care about followers and numbers. And yeah, I get that. Yeah. I just, I just want to spread the message. I just want people to know what's happening. And um, frankly, you know what? I want people to take responsibility for themselves. You know, we no one's put the gun to her head and literally pulled the trigger. You know. We, we've let people do this to us. We've become complacent and soft and lazy. And we don't take responsibility for anything. And we need to change. You know, we, we all need to become the fittest, healthiest versions of ourselves. And I'll tell you one thing. Authority doesn't like that. They don't want a happy, healthy, united, intelligent, critically thinking and questioning population because that's a very difficult group of people to control so if that's what they don't want that's exactly what we should do <laughs> you say you say that we need to take more responsibility for ourselves and i i couldn't disagree with that but i have a bit of a soft spot ahmad for younger men and women who wanted to get away and have a bit of a holiday they'd been you know, they'd been kind of beaten down with all of this fear and all of this narrative about the virus and about killing granny and everything. And a lot of younger people, including in my own family, took the jab because they were basically led to believe they wouldn't be allowed to leave the country if they didn't. And I'm a little bit older and wiser now at 48. I think back to when I was a younger man, I might have done it as well. I totally get your point about take responsibility. But I might have done the same thing, you know, because it was coercion, wasn't it, really? Absolutely. And Richie, when I take talk about personal responsibility, I'm not talking about this. Yeah. I'm talking about simple, simple things, which we really should have taught in school. But 
the propaganda has not just been going on for the last few years. It goes way back. You know, it, we're talking about things like, you know, eat low fat food. I mean, that's nonsense. Fat actually doesn't make you fat. Sugar does. Um, I, I mean, don't take the easy option. Convenience food is not convenient to your health. You know, cut down on the alcohol. Don't vape. Don't put toxins and rubbish in your body. Um, exercise daily. Don't make excuses. Oh, I can't exercise because I've got arthritis. You know, I've got arthritis in my spine. It doesn't stop me from exercising. You know, this is what I mean by lifestyle changes and choices we can all make. Um, because, they, you know, society has dumbed us down and indoctrinated us with, you know, stuff that's not true. So I want people to take charge of their health. Now, as for what you're saying about the jab, that's a completely different kettle fish. And I'm all for unity and love and forgiveness. And, you know, all the people who took the shot and were, were conditioned to hate those who questioned. Yeah. I, I forgive them too because they were manipulated. Um, I'm I'm not going to forgive or forget the people who engineered and masterminded and led from the front this whole thing. For the majority of people, yes, they were absolutely coerced, manipulated, psychologically, behaviorally, you know, neuro-linguistic programming, you know, you name it, whatever else, you know, um, there's evidence coming out clear-cut that, you know, the army, our British army was involved in psychological essential warfare against you know our own citizens to manipulate and nudge it's all out there this isn't conspiracy theory spy b whatever to try and you know make us do certain things and behave in a certain way now that to me <clears throat> makes me upset because i'm used to doing consent for patients when i operate on them i i know what consent involves and what it doesn't involve in, is coercing and manipulating and you know punishing people into doing something so if you can't travel if you've been locked down if you've been isolated if you can't go to the pub you can't go to the cinema and then you're offering this gene therapy as a way out well if that's not coercion i don't really know what is and i totally understand why people would have taken it and you know we shouldn't forget how we were all manipulated people should be asking lots of questions why why was this done to us for something that we were told was safe and effective that would stop transmission that was only for the elderly and the sick you know we're dealing with one lie after another after another you know remember it all started with two weeks to flatten the curve yeah yeah you know people people forget and the problem is if you forget history then you don't see the patterns come up again and you're not able to prevent those things from happening or you're unable to resist and fight them. So people need to wake up, frankly. There's so much to get into. You're listening to Dr. Ahmad Malik. You'll find him on Twitter. So if you basically just look for Ahmad Malik and you'll find him straight away. The Twitter handle is at Doc Ahmad Malik. Give him a follow there. Pinned to the top of the page there is a really interesting guide um, that you put together yourself using a pen. Uh, a guide to simple, uh, to, to good health, a New Year's gift. Check that out, folks. Dr. Ahmad Malik is our guest. Let's, let's, what do you under, I, I, I've gone through VAERS data from the US. I've gone through yellow card reporting data here in the UK. And I'm not a statistician. I don't have that skill. I'm, you know, trying to determine how serious is the 
vaccine injury issue. Like, how big is this? Now, I know this is speculation. I don't expect you to have the answer, Ahmad, but I'm guessing you have an opinion. How dangerous are the mRNA COVID jabs or or how dangerous might they be? So I've seen that, you know, in various different sources that apparently there's more adverse effects with this than all the other vaccines put together since they started being recorded. So, you know, one could argue when you do a medical intervention, you know, no, no injury is, is, uh, you know, an acceptable amount, you know, you should first do no harm. And if there's any, anything untoward or unusual, it needs to be investigated straight away. And normally the treatment is suspended while an investigation happens. I think there's clearly issues with what's been, you know, distributed, gene therapy, vaccine, whatever you want to call it. And the problem that I find, my concern is, we're not even allowed to ask what's happening. We're not even, forget even getting to the point where people are now, you know, investigating and recording and seeing what the issues are. We're just simply being told, don't even ask, don't even question this, because if you do, we're going to censor you, we're going to deplatform you, we're going to, you know, suspend you, the GMC is going to come after you, or whatever. And you shouldn't have this culture. You should have a culture of openness, because patient safety um, relies on people being able to speak up. Now, it's really interesting. Um, I came across this article where it said, there's a leap in staff scared to report safety concerns, 9th of March. And it says NHS staff are significantly less comfortable raising concerns and are less confident in their organisation to address them. The services annual staff survey has revealed. I mean, are you surprised? That's terrifying. You know, that's not good. If people can't, if nurses and doctors can't speak up when they see something that they're worried about, you know, that's that's where harm can happen. And the reason why people can't speak up is because they see what happens to those who do. If you step out of line and don't speak along the the government narrative or whatever, you know, um, and you 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 put your head above the parapet, you get shot down. So everyone else is like, well, I'm not going to do that. I'll just stay quiet. And I'll give an example. So I know a neurologist and I and I said, how are things? Are they busy? Oh, they're very busy. I went, what do you think's driving it all then? And he goes, oh, it's definitely the vaccines. You're I kidding. Said, I said, sorry. And they mumbled, it's definitely the vaccines. I went, oh, wow, you think so? And he nodded vigorously. And I said, what are you doing about it? I'm telling my patients not to get any more shots. And I went, why don't you, why don't you say something to the... Go public, public or, yeah. Or go, you know, go public and say something. And he shook his head and said, no way. And he walked away. Do you understand why you chose not to do that? You chose to do the other thing. And and I don't know you. It's the first time we've properly spoken. And I, I genuinely love you for doing that. But do you understand that fear? And you didn't have it. You had the cojones not to, to, to kind of put your head back down. But do you kind well, of understand? L- listen, I, I've got everything to lose. I, yeah. I totally get why they're doing that. I, yeah. I've i got a mortgage. I've got three young children. I'm not rich by any means. 
you know, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sacrificing potentially everything. But I think, Richie, look, it comes down to lots of things. And I love humanity. I love people, which is why I do my job. And I meet so many wonderful people. And I genuinely believe the vast majority of people on this planet are really good souls. Me too. You know, the vast majority, no matter what people in society might want to tell you, you know, definitely the vast majority are amazing people, good people. And, you know, I want to I want to live in a country which is free and safe and, you know, something that, you know, I can be really proud of the way my dad was proud to, have you know, immigrated to this country in the 1960s. You know, he loved being British. He loved being Scottish. And he would tell me what amazing country we lived in and how it was free and open and there was a free press and there was a government that wasn't corrupt. And, you know, we could do whatever we want and practice whatever religion we want. And it was amazing. And I remember that conversation at the back of our shoe shop in the 1980s when I was only about seven or eight. And now I have children the same age. And I and I look at them and I think, I could not have that same conversation. And that makes me desperately sad. So if I'm not going to speak up, who is? Who is? And yeah. that's what I'm, you know, we all need to take responsibility. This is what I mean. We need to take responsibility. We all need to speak up. We all need to say, no, enough is enough. You know, we're the ones that put you, you know, in positions of power to serve us. You're not, you know, we're not here to serve you. And I think that whole balance of power, you know, maybe it never existed, but this is totally the wrong way around. And we need to, we, there's significant changes that have to be made in our government in our media in our healthcare system in our education system higher education you know our regulatory bodies our, you know our institutions that we trust you know as far as i'm concerned every single one of them needs to be radically revised and fixed because they're all broken we've had some quite startling um how do I say this, um, revelations coming out of the WhatsApp messages that were leaked to the Telegraph. And when you see an MP, James Daly, being pressurised by Matt Hancock's department to stop criticising lockdown, if you don't, we will withhold um, funding for a disabled hub in your constituency. I mean, this is beyond dirty politics. There might be some criminal liability there. Some of this stuff yeah. coming out is I mean, incredible. The, the truth, the truth is, I'm not really sure about these WhatsApp. You know, I don't trust me anything. neither. Yeah, it's another the one. The thing yeah. is, you know, I've learned one thing, and and this is what I would ask all your listeners to do: listen to Richie Allen, and that's it. <laughs> that's, no, that'll just, do. For me. I'm going to make a promo out of that. No, I won't do that to you. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to you. No, but it's, it's, I would say, it's go ahead. I would say, stop listening to the BBC for God's sake. You know, stop listening to mainstream media, because. They don't report the truth. They manufacture lies. It's all propaganda, misdirection, confusion, misinformation. And, they, and, and, it's, and, and, and you know, these WhatsApp messages could be the ultimate, look, squirrel. What are they actually hiding? You know, Robert um, Redfield was a former CDC director. He's, he's now been under oath. He's been speaking to some senators. Um, I think senators, I think, um, no, Republican Jim Jordan, and, um, you know, it's all coming out, you know, and people like Anthony Fauci paid, you know, people, you know, nine million dollars or something to stay silent about the fact that it was a, it looked like a manufactured virus. You know, so not only is Fauci guilty of lying and other stuff, it looks like briberies in there, too. Yeah. You know, the reality is 100 percent. I think a lot, some people 
need to be held to account and criminal charges need to be held against them. Because if this is, you know, the worst case scenario, you know, th this, this has been awful. You know, the financial effect has actually crippled our economy. You know, the cost of living crisis that we're seeing and everything isn't because of, you know, bad old Putin. It's because of what our government did to us during the lockdown and the furlough and the test and trace and all the money wasted on their friends and corruption and God knows what else. You know, and, and, and people just get on with their lives and just think, yep, let's get on with it. And, oh, that was terrible. Let's, you know, no, no, we shouldn't forget. We shouldn't forget. Because and they'll do it again, right? Dr. Ahmad Malik is our guest. He is an orthopedic surgeon. He's on the line to us from Liverpool this evening, originally from Glasgow. Glasgow. I, I, do you know, uh, I don't know, speaking about your dad a moment ago, I had a mental image. I bet you your dad had you in the shop every school holidays, right? This is where the work ethic comes from. I bet you had you in the shop every every time you had a day off, every Saturday and Sunday, right? 100%. Mate, it was, <laughs> and I freaking loved it. You know, as a little kid, we'd sell shoes and laces and shoe polish and we'd get pocket money and it was amazing there's a shop next door and we get penny sweets and the beano and the dandy and it was just you know dad loved having us next to him he he worked every day of his life you know literally the day before he died god bless his soul he, he died of cancer and you know he he loved working and you know i think i've got the same problem i love working you work hard um, yeah yeah work hard be honest do a good job and, you know, going back to the health thing, you know, what I would tell your listeners, if you don't mind me saying. Go ahead. You know, it's it's really easy but difficult to be healthy. And the reason why I'm saying that is because it's all about habits. Habits are easy. It's changing the habit that's difficult. All you need to do is change bad habits for good habits. And be consistent and you know, work hard at those habits. And a lot of people say to me, for example, I can't exercise because I've got pain somewhere. And I and the reason why I'm fat and overweight is because I can't exercise. You know, one thing, there's always one excuse to another and another. It's, you need to stop making excuses, is what I would say. And the way you can start getting healthy is look at basics like stress, fasting, the diet, what you actually eat, your sleep, exercise, and love. I mean, those are the big ones. And I know some people might be thinking, well, that's a bit mamby-pamby, but I just feel no, no, like... No, it isn't. In, I agree. Because, yeah, because I'm in Liverpool, you know, and the Beatles and John Lennon, love, love really is all you need. And it's not just, you know, mamby-pamby. You need to love yourself. You know, the number of people that I meet and my patients who suffer from anxiety and depression and low self-esteem and don't love themselves, guess what? You're easily manipulated when you're like that. You're easily led into fear and coercion when you're like that. Start to love yourself. Love others. Can I be love a bit curmudgeonly here? Yeah, go for it. Um, because I agree with all of that. There is a, a big but in capital letters. And I know you know this, but I have to put it in there. You know, try and avoid stress and get a good sleep. I am lucky enough, there's me and my missus. We don't have any children and we don't have a mortgage. Now, like yourself, we're not wealthy. We're not and we don't have, you know, lots of savings. We, we just do not, but we're okay. 
But I got another gas and electric bill today for February for £400. Now, we'll mm. manage. We'll manage that. But I live in Salford, near Weast, Langworthy Road, near Media City. A lot of my neighbours, the best people in the world, and you know this because you know what working class communities are. You, you're a working class lad done well yourself. They are screwed to the wall, Ahmad, and the stress is killing them. Worried about losing their property. Worried about not being able to put food on the table for the kids. And I know you know this, and, and that's a low vibrational thing. That is making the mill, those worries and those concerns. It's the worst time I've ever known in my adult life for people, 100%. for families. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm walking around Liverpool. People are intense. I'm, I'm, I, I, yeah. walked, I, I like walking. I like seeing a city and feeling it, you know. And um, um, I saw, you know, people standing at bus stops and their shoes have got holes in them. And it made me desperately sad. And what I would say is, look, I also see a lot of people who are financially struggling. And you know what? They're vaping. They're just blowing their money on the weekend on alcohol. They're, they're buying the latest fancy gear, clothes or whatever. All this stuff, like the materialism and the escapism, you need to stop all that. What little money you have, spend it wisely, invest it properly. And actually the simple things, if you sleep well, you know, if you stop drinking alcohol. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm not a Muslim. So some people think, oh, there's a Muslim guy who's coming. You know, I, I'm not. Fair right? enough. So yeah. I'm talking from a health point of view. Um. And, you know, a lot of the food isn't cheap, this convenience food and takeaway. And, you know, take, for example, I, I only eat one meal a day. I fast. Again, not religious. It's a health thing. And you, you only need one good meal a day. It saves money. Tell me about that. Hang on. Stay with this for a minute, because I would have typical Irish lads. Sometimes I'll have a fry up. Um, other times I'll have, you know, I'll have these fruit bars that I like. I'll have a bit of a lunch. I'll have less in the afternoon. And you're saying you don't need to do that, that one should be sufficient. So listen, the only animals that need to graze all day are ruminant animals that eat grass and they've got multiple stomachs that need to break down and ferment the grass. You know, like sheep. Now, what you need to be like is more like a lion. You know, they, they, they feast one big meal and then they, they're fasted for two days. Our natural physiological state is one of being fasted. You don't need to be eating all day long. Seriously. And it's actually very inflammatory for the gut. It's not good for the body to be constantly having food inside it and churning and churning. It also then, not only is it inflammatory, it leads to insulin resistance. That opens up obesity, um, heart disease, blood pressure issues, stroke, increased risk of cancer, eating, you know, that constant inflammation lowers your immune system. If you're type 2 diabetic, it lowers your immune system. And everything's multifactorial. Everything's linked. So if you don't sleep and you're sleep deprived, you're, it lowers your immune system. It raises your cortisol. It leads to insulin resistance. You're more likely to be overweight. You know, and all of these things need to be addressed. Everything. And that's the why really people need to see that pinned you know, tweet of mine, Very the simple good. guide to good health. And take, for example, exercise. I don't go to a gym. It's too bloody expensive. The David Lloyd in, in my area, it's like, it's so expensive. It's unbelievable. Guess where I exercise? In my front living room. Guess where I'm exercising tonight? And, you know, sorry, this morning. In my hotel room. You, you don't need any equipment. You can use your own body weight, squats, lunges, burpees, press-ups, sit-ups, push-ups, single leg, split leg um, squats, Romanian deadlifts, you know, whatever. It just goes on and on. Get a kettlebell, one kettlebell. That's more than enough. 
You don't need to have a gym membership. You don't need to travel anywhere. You can do all your exercise literally in your living room or in your garden. And the great outdoors, yeah, as I do. Get that that morning light. Put your face in a cold sink full of cold water to get a cold, you know, um, cold hit. You know, if you can't afford a, a cold plunge or a cold bath, just simple measures like that will boost the dopamine levels in your body. It helps build resilience in the winter. It helps build, you know, you boost your immune system. And then with regards to food, you know, just cut out all the rubbish. Now, you can go down to your local butcher and ask for cheap cuts, cheap cuts of meat. And meat is your friend. You know, meat, eggs, full-fat dairy, pasture-fed butter. Go back to basics. Bacon, sausages, that's not what's going to kill you. What's going to kill you is the sugar, the carbohydrates, the sugar, yes. things, things that come in bright packets. You know, you go, you know, again, on this walk, you know, and, you know, um, in Liverpool, I went past lots of these convenience stores and I, and I look inside. It's all a technicolor of color, yellow, green, blues, and they're all in fancy, shiny packets. And if you look at the ingredients, it's all the same thing. Rapeseed oil, vegetable oil, glucose, inverted glucose syrup you know, preservatives. And they're all just a, a different combination giving you sweets or crisps or biscuits or whatever yeah. garbage they're giving. So never have has humanity been so well fed, but so, but so unwell. I, I'm guessing your children, I've got, I, I want to take it back to where we came in in a moment. I'll do a very quick summing up in a second. It's already been a half an hour. We've got uh, Dr. Malik for about another 20 minutes before he has an engagement um, in Liverpool. I'm guessing with your approach, the obvious thing for me to say now is your children are probably healthier than the children of your neighbours, I'm guessing. Yeah, and they were, they were healthier than me. <laughs> yeah. I grew up and uh, my, my parents were subjected to all the media advertising and they, I had the Findus crispy chicken thing I'm, I'm the same age as you by the way and, and, you, and you probably remember do you remember your parents suddenly came home with a microwave and you're like what the hell is this yeah and they thought and they thought it was the best thing look at us we got a microwave right, yeah. you know because they they were you know my parents were just like everyone else you know they were they were watching tv and then and the tv said you know get this toaster stop you know i remember my mom stopped using butter and ghee and started using vegetable oil and margarine because remember margarine everybody get margarine you know all this rubbish that's promoted and you know and, and and you know as a kid you know when my dad came home with a kfc family bucket you know that was meant to be you know a, a, that was a great day you know we thought this was great food my you're parents thought it was great you're food. embarrassing me thought- you're embarrassing me i have to <laughs> confess only last week i had a bucket sent over via um i don't know which uber was it or something it was i don't do it often but it's a treat that Listen, I'm embarrassed now. You brought up the KFC buckets. But um, yeah, and, and, and Finda's crispy pancakes, God be with the days when your parents gave you that muck for your dinner. We had that as well. Can I do a quick summing up before I take it back? Our listeners are absolutely raptured by this. Um, RichieAllen.co.uk, live comment. There are about a thousand questions. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll cheekily ask Dr. Ahmad Malik uh, to come back on the show in a few weeks' time, maybe in a month when he's got a bit of time. And we'll put a few of these questions 
Um, you know, really nice questions about some of the things you've been talking about, diets and stuff like that. So I'll ask uh, you to do that if uh, it's something you might do. But I just want to do a quick summing up. You are listening to Dr. Ahmad Malik. He is a an orthopaedic surgeon. He works in London and uh, he's in Liverpool tonight, but, but that's by the by. He had the courage um, not last year to start asking a few questions about vaccine injuries. Um, he was asking questions before that. People were coming to him, not just patients, uh, not just um, family members, but others and saying they'd had a reaction to the mRNA shots. And he, quite rightly, was asking, well, why isn't the government or the National Health Service or the MHRA looking into that? And then he was asked to be quiet and just get on with your work and mind your business. But he said, no, I won't do that. He's had the courage to continue to ask uh, these types of questions. You will find him on Twitter. He is at Doc Ahmad Malik, right? It's A-H-M-A-D-M-A-L-I-K. Give him a follow and say to Dr. Malik that you heard him on the programme today. Now, I know you've been tweeting about the World Health Organisation because some geniuses think it's a good idea for governments, allegedly sovereign nations, to give up their own rights to deal with any viruses or pandemics that might come our way and give responsibility to the World Health Organization. Now, reading your tweets, Ahmad, it looks like that terrifies the bejesus out of you. <laughs> it kind of does, by the way. Um, yeah, so basically, I, I, I don't know if you've guessed, my friend, I, I have a serious problem with authority. <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. Just a wee bit, just a wee bit. So, um, so much so, I developed an identity crisis um, in 2016. Um, I became a an old white supremacist, racist, oh, right. racist, <laughs> um, stupid, stupid man. And um, so, you know, really stupid, really stupid. And I joined the Brexit party. And um, the reason why was. I'm so anti-EU because I can see what it is. It's a supranational body where bureaucrats are running the show, where no one actually at the top is accountable, where you and I are far removed from decision-making and influence over the overlords. So I I was very much anti-EU and wanted to get the hell out of it. And, you know, that's why I supported the Brexit party and stood as their PPC and then had to step down because Nigel Farage asked us to. Um, so I'm very much anti-authoritarian. I'm all I'm very libertarian. I want a small government. I want local community, local government. I, I you know, we, the smallest possible government is the best government. And, you know, I believe in the sovereign state, independent, sovereign nation state. And I think. There's nothing wrong about being patriotic. I'm very patriotic. I got a Union Jack flying outside my house. I freaking love my country. And, um, you know, all these things have been tarnished. You know, you're not allowed to be patriotic. That's apparently racist. Yes. You're not allowed You're not allowed to have a flag because that's the sign that you're a racist. Well, like I said, either I've got an identity crisis, but last time I checked, I was a little bit brown <laughs> and my name was Amin Malik, but there you go. They don't so, even look at the, um, they don't even look at the, the image. It's just look at the tweet and then I've seen some of this stuff that's been thrown at you online. It's yeah. hilariously funny. I mean, just look at the gentleman's photograph. It's right there in the name. No, but <laughs> you know? Richie, I, I've been labelled everything. It's so funny. I've been called a, a, a packy and a nigger as a kid. 
And now I've been called a Nazi and a white supremacist. So there you go. You've now got the first packy white supremacist <laughs> Nazi on your show. I've got, this is a show for the ages. We've got, <laughs> we've, we've got a man with multiple personality disorder on the show. But the, it, it is so, pathetic. So back, so back yeah. to the who. To the who, yeah. So the thing is, you know, we need sovereign states. Even if you look at our country today, you know, we've got a uniparty system. You look at America, it's a uniparty system. These, these, There's no difference between the opposition, you know, and the government. You know, if the only difference is one is saying, oh, we need to do more of this than the other, that's not really an opposition. If you look at what happened in the last three, four years, it was compliant and they're all singing off the same hymn sheet. And, you know, if you look and it's all there, you know, the same politicians on both sides of the party, both sides of the floor, are meeting people like Bill Gates and saying how wonderful we are. You know, I, I seriously believe agencies and personalities and politicians have been captured and influenced by big corporations and billionaires. And this is wholly undemocratic. Now, if we can at least still try and vote and boot them out and, you know, bring in other parties and whatnot and try and rebuild some form of resemblance of a democracy but when you start handing over power sovereign power to a supranational body like the world health organization that should terrify the behejis out of everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. because the who is not accountable to anyone and last time i checked they were funded by bill gates big pharma xi pin out of communist china you know, these aren't our friends. I never voted for anyone. Who are they responsible to? You know, Bill Gates, everybody thinks he's a really smart guy and he's a scientist and he's a computer whiz kid. No, he's not. He's always just been a businessman. It's, all been, it's always been about money. In the, in the 80s and 90s, he got into trouble for mono, monopolistic practices. Antitrust, you know? yeah, that's right. We remember it well. You know, and then he went for this, um, you know, revamp of his image and his foundation which is you know it's all bs you know these are not our friends they care about their own pocket and their own money and you know whatever else their agenda is you know we we need to reclaim back our sovereignty and power <laughs> not, not not dilute what's already bloody diluted and is are we looking at a future if we don't stop this where where healthcare will increasingly become jobs for everything. Because I see that there are jobs in development for all manner of things. I mean, you you discussed very eloquently, you spoke very eloquently about how you can avoid a lot of problems by eating healthier, by getting out and getting exercise, avoiding sugar, don't worry about fat, it's the sugar. You spoke very eloquently about that. Um, but they want us to move into an era of so-called preventative medicine, which sounds very benign, but in fact what it means is a series of shots for everything like obesity. Even, yeah. And is that yeah. where we're going if we don't stop this? Yeah, and this is what I mean by people need to take personal responsibility. I'm trying to wake people up. Because look, the healthiest, healthiest, fittest version of yourself is one that's not on medication and doesn't need it. Okay. And that's a fact, and that's obvious. Um, but people are guilty of being lazy. So I, I meet a lot of people who say to me, Doc, oh, can you give me a shot? Or oh, is it can I have a can I just have this operation and fix myself? And I'm like, you don't need it. You just need to do this, 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 and this. Go to sleep on time, manage your stress, 
stop eating junk food, stop the alcohol. 40 units a week, weekend is, is not right. Um, sort out your, your stress at home where you've got problems in, with your relationship. You know, deal with all these things. You won't need an operation. And they're like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I'll sort all that out once I get the shot and my injection or whatever, or the operation. And, and, and you know, that's that's the problem that I have. And I'm like, but that's wrong. You know, you, you shouldn't be thinking like this. And people want the quick fix. People want health in a tablet, in a vial, in a needle injection. And what I'm trying to say is don't take that lazy, easy option. You know, nothing good comes from the easy, simple you know, convenient, you know, options. You need to work for things. You need to sacrifice and earn it. And that's where the beauty of the best things in life lie. And I've, I mean, this is what I mean by, I think too many people are really complacent and lazy and soft and just want comfort. And maybe that's why we're, we're in the situation we're in. We've had it so soft and easy People have taken for granted what it means to be a free soul, you know, and we're we're just basically wanting to be caged in a prison cell. And, you know, there are people that like being in prison. You get a nice three hot meals a day. It's nice and cozy. You don't have any bills. You know, no one's scary coming along. But I don't want to be in a prison. And Do you know, do you know in the Telegraph a- today, sorry for the interruption there, but this bear is mentioning... In the Telegraph today, there was a rather disturbing article about how how the 18 to 25-year-olds, who, like all of us, had to endure lockdown, that's the group that's more, um, you know, open-minded to it. That's the group that's more reluctant to kind of come out of it. And that speaks to what you just said there. That's a terrible thing to hear, really, that young people are like, yeah, these lockdowns are not so bad at all, and, you know, I wouldn't mind another one. They are suffering from so much anxiety. It's unbelievable. And absolutely, you want to know the real pandemics? The real pandemics are anxiety, depression, sexual dysfunction, um, obesity, type 2 diabetes. These are the real pandemics. And what I would say to your listeners is just think about this. If our government really cared about us, why aren't they addressing those issues? Just think about that. And <laughs> you've got a stupid, dumb orthopedic surgeon telling you the answers. You're telling me the experts don't know this? They, so what's going on? Well, pharmaceutical, I mean, you're the, you're the natural enemy of pharmaceutical companies, which even a layperson like myself, I know they exist to just manage people's symptoms and make billions and billions of dollars a year out of just managing people rather than dealing with the root cause. And it's remarkable and admirable for you, an orthopaedic surgeon, to turn away business. It's a wonderful thing. I had a GP when I, when I was growing up. Um, she's a very elderly lady now, wonderful woman. Reminds me of you. And she was the same, you know, listen, you don't have to be coming to me. You don't have to be taking this. You don't have to be doing that. You know, drink water, avoid fizzy drinks, you know, go for a walk, don't eat this, uh, eat a little bit more of that. And you know, it kind of brings it all all back to me. In the time we have left, right, Dr. Ahmad Malik is our guest. By the way, I've already said it, but they're asking me again. They're saying, Richie, it's at Doc Ahmad Malik on Twitter. Um, you wouldn't, if you get a chance, you probably won't get a chance. We've had probably a hundred or more comments from people. So, so is, I'll just correct. It's Doc, D-O-C. D-O-C, yeah. A 
A-H-M-A-D-M from Mother, A-L-I-K, Doc Ahmad Malik. Fantastic. And do say hello to Ahmad and mention that you heard him on the programme. But um, Karen was on to ask, please, Richie, um, ask uh, Ahmad about the, the diet and eating once. What time of day would you have the one meal? Is there a preferable time? Um, yeah, so by the way, on, on, on my Instagram account, I've talked about intermittent fasting and common questions. Same handle, Doc Ahmed Malik, um, and it's there. But basically, the minimum that you want to call an intermittent fast is 16 hours. I've never eaten under that window for the last four or five years. And just to give you some context, um, Richie, I, I was type 2 diabetic. I was overweight. I was basically a fat Glaswegian bastard, you know, um, you know, high blood pressure, working like a dog, chasing the dream. And uh, one day, you know, my dad was on sit on the sofa a few months before he died. And he said to me, it's 10 o'clock at night. What are you doing? You're fat. You're overweight. You're stressed. You haven't seen your kids or your wife. And now you're eating. Take it from me, a dying man. Life isn't worth this. You know, it's not it's not worth living like this. And that was when I had the wake up call. And that's where I got together this whole simple guide. And none of this I was taught in med school. It's bloody basic. It's bloody obvious. And I want to share it with everyone. And, you know, what I would say is with the fasting, just start with 16 hours. That means you've got eight hours to eat. So, you know, you've got between 10 o'clock in the morning and 6 p.m. Try and avoid eating three hours, you know, before you go to bed, you know, because you're you're turning the engine on, the mechanism on. So then you're going to struggle to go to sleep. Um. Then once you've got used to fasting for 16 hours, you know, and after a month, go go to 18 hours. So now you you can eat between 12 and 6. And if you really want to lose weight and really want to get healthy and really want to live a longer, healthier, sharper life, get down to 20 hours. And that's basically you've got a four-hour window. Now, I play around. Sometimes I fast 22 hours. Sometimes I fast 19 hours. But the average for my week is 21 hours. It's one meal. It's a very nice big meal. And it saves you money, saves you time. You can bulk cook in the weekend and then defrost and eat things over the week. Um, or you can just, you know, and if, and if you start cooking from scratch, you just get really quick and good at it. And it's it doesn't take very long. And get rid of all the vegetable oils, rapeseed oils. Look in your cupboards. Oh, this is a test for everyone listening. Look in your cupboard, in your pantry. If there's packets, cereals, glucose, corn syrup, rapeseed oil, inverted sugars, vegetable oils, you know, you name it, don't touch it. You know, it either looks like a plant and you can eat it. It either ate a plant and like a piece of meat and you can eat that. But if it was made in a factory plant, you know, just stay away from it. Just avoid it. Just avoid um, like the plague, right? Yeah. And, and I'm not saying carnivore, heavy fat and meat. You know, I, I'm an omnivore. I have berries, raspberries, blueberries, pomegranate. You know, it's nice to get some of those in as well some greens um but just stick to basics and actually you know what sausages and eggs is much better than a bowl of cereal you know a bowl of cereal is just pure sugar it's crap isn't it cereal it's rubbish it's yeah. rubbish yeah I and don't, it doesn't I don't fill you up it. and that's why at 10 o'clock in the morning you're starving again and then you're having an early lunch and all this bread all this rubbish bread that you know think about why why is bread fortified with thymine and stuff like that because actual bread itself manufactured is of such poor nutritional value when people ate that bread they used to get sick about 80 years ago the government mandated that they had to add these agents inside the bread because so many people were becoming sick with this bread so that's that's where you're eating when you're eating this processed rubbish you know 
I want um, to. Um... So uh, can I just talk about? You said turning business away. Like I've been hurt so badly financially. You have no idea. First Brexit killed me by you know, the fact that all the the GPs locally stopped referring patients to me, and I'm full time private. I rely on referrals. And 50% of my practice just disappeared because all the GPs were like, no way are we sending any work to this racist. I went, I went, great. And since I put my head up about the mandates and, you know, more recently, it's the same, you know. Um, so I've been hit. But again, you know, I just, I, I manage my lifestyle. I, I don't live a very extravagant lifestyle. And I'd rather speak up and be financially hit and save my future children's, you know, life than stay quiet and go on an expensive holiday, frankly. But your lack of bitterness about this sort of, I mean, this is a horror show because you have a political point of view, because you believe that a country is better off making decisions on trade and other issues for itself rather than be part of a trading block in a supernatural, sorry, supernational organisation. Because of that, <laughs> because of that opinion, people can decide that, well, let's, let's cancel Dr. Malik, let's not refer patients to him. And yet you don't sound remotely bitter about that, which is to your credit. Oh, well, you know what? You, you can thank my ex-wife for that. You know, and I, I learned for, within every adversity, there's opportunity. <laughs> and um, I, I, that, that was a joke. I've been through a lot of hardship in my life and I wouldn't change any of that for a second. I love the fact that at one point I was paralyzed and I've had emergency surgery. I love the fact I had a, a painful first marriage and, you know, and, and I was part of a freaking cult and God knows what. Because you know what? It shaped me into the person I am today and it's woken me up and it's made me strong and I'm not soft. So, you know what? People say to me, even today, someone said to me, oh, aren't you worried that the GMT might investigate you or someone will report you? Mm, bring it on, frankly. Um, I've got nothing to fear. I've never said anything wrong. You know, you've asked questions. You've asked questions about why cancer uh, rates are skyrocketing, why neurological problems are skyrocketing, why cardiac issues are skyrocketing, and you're asking about the connection to the jabs. And can we finish on this then? Because I know you've got to run and um, um, loads of questions. If you want to check it out yourself when you get a bit of time, live comment on richieallen.co.uk. A lot of love okay. for you there. Do you think because of your decency and honesty and others, now I know you were right at the beginning, you were right, some of these doctors there's certainly a, a lot of narcissism about and people trying to make names for themselves i know that but it's out there do you think this is one we might win that that, that we that it might be exposed just how badly um how, how terribly damaging these mrna jabs have been do you think it's one that they might not be able to keep the lid on absolutely listen i i think this is going to be an amazing opportunity you know never before one thing i've learned is the scam hasn't been going on for three years. It's been going on for decades. But what's changed is now the way that we can disseminate information, people are going to wake up. And this is what I mean by people need to take charge of their destiny and their body and their health, physically, mentally, spiritually, and not let them get away with this again. And not just that, we're going to hold them to account and we're going to make sure that they're punished. We're going to make sure that justice is, you know, it happens, you know, I don't believe for a second that they're going to get away with this. I think they've chewed off more than they could swallow. And 
I'm very hopeful. One thing I know, the government and media did a great job of making us feel isolated and that we were all alone and that we were quacks and weirdos and the fringe. The, the truth couldn't be further than this. There are millions, millions of people like us and good people, really good people in politics, in media, who are trying their best to fight. And every single one of us can do something. First, take charge of your own health. Be the fittest, healthiest version, because that's exactly what they don't want. Then show love and compassion to those around you and be the best human possible, human being possible and inspire those around you. And don't hold bitterness for those who you know were cruel because they were victims themselves. And and that's all I would say to this. You know, I'm hopeful. I really am because I believe in humanity. We'll leave it there for today. Thanks for giving us your time, Ahmad. It was an absolute pleasure to uh, to listen to you. And I'll chase you up in a few weeks' time. You might not want to come back, but to uh, to, to make a bit of time because wonderful questions coming through our website. So um, thanks. Enjoy Liverpool in the freezing cold. It's always cold up there. And, <laughs> uh, and, um, and just continued success. And thanks for doing what you're doing. Pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, Ahmad. Dr. Ahmad Malik, live on Thursday's Richie Allen Show, live from Liverpool, as it uh, happens. You, you can follow him on Twitter, as we've said already. It's at DOC uh, Ahmad Malik, all one word, at Doc, D-O-C, A-H-M-A-D, M-A-L-I-K. He is an orthopaedic surgeon, uh, a doctor who uh, works in London, but uh, grew up in Glasgow. His old dad came to Glasgow from Pakistan, that's where he grew up. He was talking about that earlier on. Being, not being forced, but being sent into the shop, into the shoe shop by dad when he was a young boy on his holidays. Really interesting man. He began, you know, shouting from the rooftops on social media when his own clients' patients were telling him about reactions to the jabs. He was hearing it within his own family and in his own community. And he started asking, well, why isn't the medicines and healthcare regulatory authority in this country which is the organization which which is supposed to regulate medicines coming in the mhra its job is to make sure that medicines don't harm the british people it gets to say whether a medicine is passed fit for distribution or not and he was asking what the hell is going on like you know lots of people are coming down with serious sometimes very serious injuries after jabbing and um, you know he paid a bit of a price for that but but to, to his credit he, he continues it's 24 minutes past the hour time for a tune when I come back it's your messages your comments I should say I don't know why I say messages it's your comment your comments on Thursday's Richie Allen show this is George Michael and the amazing Aretha Franklin I'm guessing 1987 86 I can't remember Love this though. It's I Knew You Were Waiting. The Richie Allen Show, live from Salford, with me, Richie Allen, on richieallen.co.uk. George Michael and Aretha Franklin, I knew you were waiting 28 minutes past six on this freezing cold Thursday evening here in Super Salford, the greatest city on God's green earth. Nothing like it. 
Really enjoyed the chat with uh, Dr. Ahmad Malik there. Thanks for your comments, by the way. They came in in legions, legions of comments there. Thank you. Jenny says, lovely man, honest and well-informed is uh, the doctor. Thanks, Jenny. Oreo Abkakao says, would be interesting to hear from a proctologist surgeon if, for example, vaccines have caused bleeding from you know where. I'm sure they exist online, you know. Grok says that he or she thinks the lab leak is a smoke screen. Yeah, that's an interesting one and I know nothing about that. I know the claims, I know the FBI claims, I know, you know, the virus was in Wuhan, it was manufactured there and it leaked out and was that deliberate, was it an accident and Fauci and the money in that um, particular lab. I, I know all of these theories and they're very interesting but I just don't know what isn't, isn't true, Grok. Thanks for the comment. Joe says, loving the doctor. A lot of us are scared of the NHS. And I'm telling you, Ahmad could start his own surgery. We would gladly contribute and become his revenue. Great guest, says Joe. Thanks. Joe Richard says, I will not let it go as if nothing happened. They need to pay. Uh, thanks, mate. Uh, Patricia says, Ahmad is a sight for sore eyes, God. Uh, bless him. Craig's put a very interesting comment there about common law. An interesting comment. Thanks, Craig. It's a long one, but check it out. You'll often get an interesting comment from Craig there. That's on the live comment page. Check it out there. Hazy reckons a lot of um, her or his fellow ex-cult members have really woken up to what's happening worldwide because they see the same techniques playing out every day. That's good. Absolutely. Mm. Brian says he loved many of us loved lockdown I did says Brian <laughs> Baird says Richie great guest and a really interesting interview thanks Baird thank you for that Sue says Richie could you ask Dr Malik about statins didn't see that Sue sorry about that but it's a question that I think might come up next time he's on I appreciate that she says um, they diagnosed my dad with type 2 diabetes and early stage dementia and they put him on antipsychotic medication in hospital. But he got worse instead of better in there. It's been a terrible experience for the whole family. I'm genuinely sorry to hear that, Sue. That must be difficult. It must be a difficult time for you and your family. I hope it improves. Um, and I obviously, I know nothing about any of these things. But I wish your dad well, uh, Sue. So I do. Uh, hi to Steve T. Thank you, Steve. Christine says, Richie, as you know, how are you, Christine? I've had over nine operations. My last one was on my back. It ended with me needing my hip replacement to be redone. And to date, they cannot tell me why this happened. After it all, I decided when it was over, um, I was over with surgery. I was done with surgery after all of this, says Christine, unless it's a medical emergency. Thanks to my son, I gave... Um, I started exercising at the beginning of lockdown. I'm fitter now at 60 than I was in my 40s. I will be eternally grateful to my son. That's a really important thing to say, Christine. Look, when I was in Spain, I did very little physical exercise. I did none. I carried empty bottles and rubbish from my better half's bar to the bins in the port of Duquesa. That's what I did. But I didn't do anything. I didn't run. I didn't exercise. I never went to the gym. 
Now, as a very young man, I was incredibly fit. Like, as I've said before, I was never particularly outstanding or very good at any sport. I suppose I was competent at one or two sports I could get by. But I was incredibly fit as a young man. Like, when I worked at WLRFM in Wardford, I played indoor football three nights a week. Don't laugh. Before you laugh, I played it some with some very good footballers. Guys who were playing Premier uh, in, in, in Waterford and guys that were playing Division 1. They knew how to play football, so I did a lot of running, right? I played a bit of squash with a friend of mine who was far better at squash than I, and I ran. I was in incredible shape, but that deteriorated. I am sitting here today talking to you, and I weigh 13 stone 8 and a half pounds. I'm 6 foot 6 inches tall. I'm very tall. And there are those who would say 13 stone eight is a little bit underweight, but it's a good weight. I don't skip meals, although I'm thinking now about the one meal a day routines that Dr. Ahmad is on. I'm genuinely thinking about that. Honestly, giving it a go and letting you know how I get, get on. But um, why am I telling you that? Because I was nearly 18 stone in Spain. Yeah. And we moved to London and I had to lose a little bit of weight because... I knew I was going to be on television, which I didn't fancy, because I hadn't done any TV, and it highlights your, you know, every little idiosyncrasy, everything that's, every little bit of weight you have on you, and I'm not vain, I've never been vain, so I lost a little bit, but I was still very much overweight, came back to Manchester after the People's Voice had gone by the wayside, and I looked at myself in the mirror one morning and I said, this is not acceptable. Now, I've got a dodgy right knee. I dislocated my knee, tore ligaments when I was in my late teens, had an operation on that. I've always had a bit of arthritis. So I do have a bit of arthritis, but I said it wasn't going to be a barrier. I got some headphones, got some music on the on the phone, on my mobile phone, and I began to run two, three kilometers, then four, then five, and then five kilometers every other day. And then I increased that sometimes to five miles instead of 5k. And I'm telling you, if I could do that, and Christine has triggered this, if I could do it, anybody could do it. And I'll tell you something else about running. And there are those who will say, oh, it's dangerous, it's not good for the ankles, it's not good for the joints, you're running on tarmac, Richie. Listen, leave all that to one side. The joints and the hips and all that, they're fine, they're fine. You can buy the right supports for your knees, and more importantly, as I think I said on this programme before, you can spend a few bob on trainers. Now, you can spend a few bob. I use a pair of trainers every year. Once a, I, I buy one pair a year because I wear them down and I pay serious money. I pay about 300 quid for my trainers. They're designed for road running. So I don't have the knees and the hips and all of that. If I can do it, anybody can do it. And I'm going to tell you something I've told you before. When you're out there, it's. it'll be pretentious if I say life-affirming. That's bollocks. It's not life-affirming. It's life-enhancing. Whatever mood, whatever bit of darkness in the mind, whatever little bit of negative energy, it just disappears. You're alive. And you think, you think when you're out there. You know, your thoughts become clearer. Dopamine, I don't know. Yes, I would say, no doubt. Endorphins, yes. I come back from the run. I'm a bit knackered when I come back. But within a few minutes of having the shower and all of that, 
I'm in good form, I'm focused, I'm happy, and I'm thinking about the day ahead. Who will I be speaking to later on on the show? What newspapers, what articles might be relevant to that? What, there's a lot to be said for physical fitness. Now, there, there will be people listening to this programme and they will have disabilities, undoubtedly, and this will mean nothing to them because they're like, well, Richie, I can't. It's as simple as that, I can't. But um, I suppose Dr. Malik might say, if you don't have the use of your legs, you can do cardiac exercises. Um, but yeah, there's a lot to be said for it. And Christine saying there, you know, at the beginning of lockdown, beginning to exercise again, becoming fitter now at 60, in her 40s, that's, uh, yeah, it's good. It's good that. I never looked back. I'll never allow myself to get out of shape again in the way I was when I arrived back in the UK in 2013. Vanity has got nothing to do with it. It really doesn't. I mean, look at me for Christ's sake. What do I have to be vain about? I'm, I'm no oil painting. I'm, I'm nicer in, in the flesh than I am on, on video. But, um, you know, I'm not going to be invited to uh, model for GQ magazine any day soon kind of a thing, you know. Vanity's got nothing to do with it. It's well-being. And it feels good to be able to get up in the morning, go and walk the dogs for for an hour, for 90 minutes, let them run around like lunatics, then walk them back, stretch for a few minutes, 15, 20 minutes sometimes, sometimes not 15, 20 minutes, which is a bit silly sometimes, but then to go off for a five-miler like I did this morning, running down Eccles New Road, running down Broadway, Media City, crossing the canal, running past Old Trafford, running down to the cricket ground, turning around and coming back up again, back up Langworthy Road, Getting back to the house, five and a half miles. Brilliant. Breaking records? No, Jesus, no. God, no. <laughs> Are you doing a decent time for a 48-year-old, Richie? I don't know, to be honest. I'd love to know what a decent time for a 48-year-old is, but I just don't know. Back with some more of your comments. After counting crows and Mr. Jones... Counting Crows, Mr. Jones on your Richie Allen radio show, broadcasting live from the great city of Salford, here in the northwest of the UK, where it is colder than a witch's teat, so it is today. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen show now at richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, you're very kind for sending in your comments. To follow Dr. Ahmad Malik, go to Twitter. It is at docdoc, Ahmad, A-H-M-A-D, Malik, M-A-L-I-K. And I'm on Twitter at the moment and you're, you're sending him some love there. That's nice. I like people to know when they've been on the show that somebody was listening to them. We have a very big reach, you know that. I, I, I don't have to say that. But guests like himself who didn't know anything about the show, obviously, until we bumped into each other on Twitter. It's nice for people to know that it was worth their while coming on. That they were not talking to one man, one woman and their dog, you know. So yeah, give him some love on there. And uh, he might just come back and do more on the dietary thing. He might do. Hi, hi, Chris. He says, I'm with the doc all the way with intermittent fasting. And I'm with you on the fitness, Richie. I'm 62. At the moment, I'll be 63 this year, says Chris. 
I cycled 75 kilometers this afternoon with bare legs, getting the vitamin D in the best way. Get in there, Chris. That's brilliant, pal. I felt I had another 70 in the legs. Not even tired. I'm in the best shape I've ever been, despite the sciatica, the broken back and all that. Well done, buddy. My friend Tez probably wouldn't mind me saying this, but a couple of years ago, Tez looked at himself in the mirror and he saw it, just like I did a few years ago. He said, uh, I've got a bit of poundage there now. And again, not vanity, but, uh, you know, health reasons and, you know, mental well-being reasons. Tez said, to hell with that. And he went and he got himself a decent uh, um, road bike. A decent road bike, like a mountain bike, but a kind of a hybrid thing, kind of like a racing thing. And off he went on his travels. Chris has reminded me there and um, began to lose the poundage. And he was doing this, and I hadn't seen him for a few weeks. You know, sometimes you miss each other in the park with the doggies and what have you. And uh, then I seen him, because we go to uh, cricket sometimes together, and we go to rugby league together. Uh, me and Tez, he's a good pal. And then I saw him then in the park one day. I didn't recognise him. And, and the first thing I said was, well, how do you feel in the mind? How's the head like? And he said, great, I feel a lot better. You do. It's good to be fit. You know, and I want to stress that because I don't want people who might be carrying a bit of weight to think that the show is sizest, a stupid term that, or that I somehow look down on people who are overweight. Not in the slightest. No chance. No, of course not. Um, it's, it's good for you, you know. Thanks, Kiki, for the kind words. Wiley says, one meal per day in the evening. Cut out the old bread and other carbs. It took a week or so to get used to it, and now it's easy, and I feel great for it. Give it a try. On the exercise being difficult thing, there was a guy called Mo, um, who was from, uh, of Pakistani origin, and he used to run, he used to run a convenience shop around the corner from us after we moved to Salford in 2019. Now, Mo has since sold the business, but he was a magnificent human being, still is, presumably, He's uh, kind of in semi-retirement now. Magnificent because there's a bit of poverty around us. This is a working class housing estate. It's like where I grew up in Ballybeg in Waterford. Um, wonderful people. The best in the world. Never let you down. But there's a bit of poverty around. And I see him in action sometimes. And he had no idea that I did radio or media. I see him giving food to people. Not taking money from them. You don't hear of that too often, do you? Wonderful. I said it to my, I tears in my eyes one morning. Chap came in and he asked him for some eggs and some milk. And uh, he, hadn't, he hadn't a bob. And uh, I was down one of the aisles. I wasn't supposed to see this. And Mo wished him, wished him God bless. He was a devout Muslim, is a devout Muslim, Mo. Wished him, this was a, a white kid, a white kid, a local white lad. And he gave him the milk and the eggs. And I think he gave him something else too. And he said, look, don't, don't worry about it. Forget all about it. We were chatting and I asked him, I said, uh, you know, you, you don't expect to ever see any money for, like, it's not a question of pay me later. And he said, no, it's not a question of pay me later. What would the Prophet Muhammad think, he said. Lovely guy, lovely, very funny. And uh, carrying a bit of poundage, right? And he says to me, I see you running all the time. Now, at that time, I used to run with Jazz. God love Jazz, our German Shepherd who's no longer with us my my all-time favourite K9 jazz. And he said, you're in great shape, Richie. I can't, um, he said, I'm absolutely knackered now with knees and ankles and what have you. 
and he was in his um, late 60s. So I said, look, it's as simple as this. From what I understand, cut out the bread if you can completely. I, I doubt you eat crisps and sweets. He said, no, I don't. Uh, cut out the bread and drink loads of water, which he wasn't doing. And I said, if you can avoid eating after 6 p.m., I mean, you fast during Ramadan. He said, yeah, I fast during, of course I do. I said, bring a bit of that back. Don't eat anything after six ever. Because he said he loved a sandwich or something later in the evenings. You know, I said, that's no good. That's no good at all. Anyway, he followed the advice. He started drinking lots of water during the day. No snacking, no bread and stopped, uh, refrained from eating after 6 p.m. And he lost kilos, which you do. You've got to keep it up. In the first couple of weeks, he lost um, seven or eight kilos and couldn't believe it. And I said, it is fairly simple, you know, but I grew up on bread. It was a thing for me when I was in my teens. But when you're in your teens, you can do anything because you never gain any weight unless your metabolism is predisposed to gaining weight. You might be genetically predisposed to gaining weight, but I wasn't. So I, I would get in of an evening when I was a young man and I would go to the press this is disgusting, but this is what I would do, right? I would get two packets of potato, cheese and onion crisps, potato chips for our American listeners. I would get four or five slices of Brennan's bread, white bread. No butter, because I couldn't bear butter. And I would have crisp sandwiches. <laughs> it's, it's crap. I mean, the Brennan's bread is crapola, as the doctor said earlier on. The crisps are almighty crap you could do that at 9 o'clock of an evening at 10 or 11 come down out of bed to do it have you ever done that got up in the middle of the night and came down I was insatiable my appetite was insatiable when I was growing up I would sneak down a couple of Jaffa cakes bag of crisps two slices of bread and of course you don't gain any weight because you're running around like a madman as a teenager playing football and everything else but of course you can't do that when you get when you get older so it is fairly simple. That's my that's the Richie Allen show guide to losing weight um reasonably quickly without putting yourself in any danger. Without taking diet pills, without taking injections. They're offering an injection now for people to try and help them lose weight. That's dodgy, isn't it? Stay away from any injection. But the Richie Allen show guide is simple as this. Drink gallons of water. Drink four liters of water a day. But not all together. Three. Let let's say three. Let's be safe about it. But drink, drink those three litres of water a day across eight, nine, ten hours. No Coca-Cola, no Fanta, none of that crap. No bread at all and never. Think of the gremlins. You couldn't feed the mogwai after midnight, right? Think of you as a, as, as a mogwai, but six o'clock's the cut-off time. You wait till you see the speed with which you'll drop a few pounds. Oh, yeah. And that's, that's you know, success breeds success because... You'll see that happen and you're like, oh, this is good, this. And, and when that happens, you're likely to continue with it. Yeah. That's the Richie Allen Show guide to dropping some poundage if you need to drop some poundage. Jean-Anne has been listening late this afternoon. Bit of a power outage in the wild west of Connemara. Likes the dock um, and what he said about full fat, butter, dairy, eggs and plenty of meat. We never had processed food growing up, says Jean-Anne. Vesta curry was the nearest thing we thought it was madly exotic. Yes. Yes, we did eat so much better. I'm old enough to remember eating better. But I'm also old enough to remember 
what he talked about when the microwave came into the equation. And then you had all manner of crap, didn't you? When the microwave materialised in the house, in the homestead. Oh, it's so convenient, isn't it? And it's crap. How many guests, this show in particular has been on the air since September 2014, how many guests have we had on talked about the dangers of microwaving food, what it can do to you? And uh, I don't use the microwave for anything. I have to say, I'll call her out now, and she should know better. My better half does occasionally heat up a soup in the microwave, but it's not good. It's not good at all. Thank you for your comments. Yeah, it's um, Thursday's Richie Allen show with me, Richie Allen. Dr. Ahmad Malik was a very good listen. So if you came in late on that, do check out the podcast a bit later on. The podcast... Uh, is on Podomatic.com, RichieAllen.Podomatic.com, but it goes on everywhere else. So iTunes, Spotify, it goes on everyone else. Richard says, the women are listening, Richie, and I've just made bread and soup. I'm losing customers here, he says. That's right. Booney says, Richie, save the £300, Richie. Go barefoot running like my wife. And then Booney says, look up Tony Riddle. Barefoot running, Zola Bud, Zola Bud, South African runner, ran in bare feet, didn't she? And famously tripped up Mary Slaney or Mary Decker back in the Olympics. Was it the Olympics when she tripped her up? I can't remember. Los Angeles, was it? 1984. I couldn't run barefoot. My The bottoms of my feet are incredibly soft. I've never done a hard day's work in my entire life. I never worked as a labourer on a building site. I never lifted anything. I've done no physical labour in my life. My hands are frequently described by anyone who happens to touch my hands through a handshake or not a high five. We don't do that in these parts. But, you know, people say, you've got the softest hands, Richie, I've ever come across in my life. They are now. Ike used to say that to me, David. Shake his hand occasionally, watching football. Something had happened, we'd laugh. Handshake. Your hands are soft. Mild green fairy liquid is not the answer. The answer is I've never done a day's hard work in my entire life. Like real labour. Nothing. And I'm so proud of that. That I managed to navigate a working class housing estate. Working class boy. Proud I am. But never did any real work. It's fantastic, isn't it? (laughs) Wonderful. Bruce says cheddar cheese on bread. With Walker's cheese and onion crisps. With mayonnaise. Oh, Jesus Christ. There's 700 calories in every bite, Bruce. Cheddar cheese on bread, Walker's cheese and onion crisps, and then spread some mayo on there. Just in case what you had already put on there wasn't enough to give you a heart attack. I I see, I see, I see you, Bruce. Hey, listen, I'm back with you tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Did you know that? That's on account of me not being on air on Monday. Um, I'm supposed to be going down to Old Trafford in a few minutes to watch the Manchester United-Real Betis match. But I don't know if you can hear it. I'm still not well and I'm struggling to breathe. I don't know what's going on. I thought I'd leave you with that bombshell. Don't worry, I'm not going to be missing tomorrow or Sunday or next week. I just can't get over this sore chest and this issue that I've had lately. And today I've really been struggling with the breathing. And um, normally what I would do is I would finish up, get the show on podcast very quickly... And then I would power walk down to Old Trafford, watch the game, and then power walk back up, which I don't need to do, 
because I've had a five mile run this morning even though my breathing isn't good I'm addicted but uh, I'm going to cry off I'm not going to go to the game which is not something I do I like going to the games I've got a ticket for United now and it's just not going anywhere really I'll finish with this Craig says Richie here's another point you might find interesting we've heard the cry of down with the patriarchy a reference to heraldry law Queen Elizabeth inherited from her father that made her despite being a woman a patriarch King Charles, because he inherited from his mother, is a matriarch despite being a man. Do you see? Transgender, he says. And I can't read the rest of that, Craig, but it's very good. Folks, you go on to live comment and read all the comments there. Many, many comments today. Thank you, Dr. Ahmad Malik. I really appreciate your company on the show this evening. I'm back with you tomorrow, Friday, for a news roundup, really, more than anything. We might have one or two laughs. I'm sure we will. That's tomorrow at 3pm UK time. That's GMT, Greenwich Mean Time, tomorrow, 3pm UK time. And now it's just occurred to me, I could have said at the beginning of the programme, if anybody wants my ticket to see Manchester United, if, if you live in the Stretford, Salford, Manchester, Chorlton area, I could have just basically sent you via email, because it's all electronic, I could have sent you the bloody ticket. That would be a first for talk radio. Uh, the presenter handing a match ticket to one of his listeners, but um, yeah, I could have done that, I suppose, anyway. Yeah, sure, look, you always think of these things when it's too late. Listen, enjoy the rest of your Thursday. I've been Richie Allen. We will speak tomorrow at three, and uh, I can give a plug, I suppose, now for Sunday Morning Melodies, in case you don't uh, catch me tomorrow. I will be doing Sunday Morning Melodies at 10 o'clock UK time. That's uh, this coming Sunday at 10, between 10 and midday. It's a music programme with songs and stories and whatnot, so that might be your thing. Closing out today with this. From the four tops. It is Reach Out, I'll Be There. See you tomorrow, and thanks for listening today. Bye.